Welcome to Sergey Ross Podcast. I have a great guest today. It's Ronan Leonard, who connects small business owners through his mastermind platform called Code, uh, E-Accountability. And he, without a co-founder or business coach, solopreneurs are often overwhelmed with to-do lists. They need, they, they need practical advice. They need right, right support to give them clarity, to give them better results. And this is what Ronan does. And I'm super excited to have him on the show. Ronan, thank you so much for joining. Awesome. Okay. Thanks for having me as a guest. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, same here. Well, this is, this is excellent. You're joining from Australia. I'm here in Canada. Uh, totally different time, but it works out, which is awesome. So, Ronan, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, your journey. How did you get onto this self-development industry train and um, where, how did you get where you are at the moment? <laughs> I, I like that term phrase industry train but I, I don't sort of see it that way uh, mine is very very convoluted story way back in my early 20s I got a job on cruise ships mm. and I wanted to see the world and travel and within six weeks of working on, on this cruise ship it sunk off the wild coast of South Africa huge storm 60 foot swells 100 mile an hour winds uh, terrible weather and we started sinking all the officers and most of the sort of crew abandoned their positions and I was one of the lowest paid people in the gift shop. I ended up staying on board and we were helping people to lifeboats and then because the ship sunk quite slowly, luckily enough, first thing in the morning these helicopters came because we were off the coast of Africa mm. uh, and they picked up the, the rest of us into, into helicopters. Uh, but it didn't daunt me. I, I actually quite enjoyed the experience because luckily enough nobody died. and so. My mindset is that I actually saw all the, the funny things that happened. And there was this really quirky, strange, strange things happening. It was just mm. like a scene out of a movie. So I did another nine years working on cruise ships, worked my way up to a casino manager. And, and then I came to Australia and I set my own events business up. And I did that for about 12, 13 years. And I would definitely say that I had a fixed mindset. Mm. I didn't hire a coach. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have any kind of sort of sounding board apart from my wife. And then about four years ago, I got into my first mastermind and this complete change in me sort of happened. I looked at what I was doing and where I was at and, and I decided that I needed to change and I needed to, to, to grow more on a personal level and I just needed to sort of, I suppose, show up a little bit better. Right. So I became obsessed with masterminds uh, and eventually decided, you know, really this is what I want to do. But I actually took, before I decided to take that leap, because I think a lot of us jump into one business idea after the next without really evaluating it. So I took six months and I look back at the patterns of my life, and which is why I share the cruise ship story, mm. because that's a fundamental thing where I helped people without ever really thinking about it. You know, I wasn't even trained to do it. I just did it. So I think, well, okay, that's a key attribute of mine. And I looked at that, those patterns throughout my life. And, and I think that's where some people sort of go wrong is that they're not really looking for those key indicators, those intrinsic values, what do I really want to do, and, and search for that and look for those patterns and tie them up. So when I finally found that, then that sort of led me to the journey of, of, of masterminds. Right. Well, this is, uh, there's quite a lot to unpack in your in what you just said. And this is a very, this is a really interesting journey. And I've watched that video 
about the cruise ship that was really interesting. I, I did I did like the response by the captain who said that oh I just told to abandon the ship and you know when <laughs> and I've just left so I'm good. That was just a brilliant example of how not to be a leader. Exactly, yeah. And it also taught me to, to question authority. Just because you've got four stripes on your shoulder and you, you strut around as the captain doesn't mean that you know you, a leader leads by example. And when right. the crunch came to it, he you know he failed to step up to his training and his responsibility. Right. Uh, so it was a, it was a good lesson that I that I've taken throughout life. Now, before I ask you about something that important that you brought up about identifying the patterns and those key indicators to find what you really want to be doing and um, and serving, I I wanted to ask you about your first business. When you were working in casinos and you grew it from two tables to over fifty, what was it like? Uh, that was that was a real roller coaster. I started that business without any business plan. Mm. I sunk my life savings into it, and I'd never been in business before, so I did all the wrong things. And for the first year, I I, I barely got a customer. I think I got one customer, paid me six hundred dollars, and I. I'd invested $30,000, this was 15 years ago. Mm. So it was my life savings. And I was close to quitting, I've got to be honest, but I'm, I'm quite a resilient person. And, and again, I looked through my sort of traits and sort of habits, and I just stuck at it. And then I finally met somebody that showed me what I didn't know. And, and back in 2003, I think it was, that was SEO. And right. the second he showed me how you can just change a couple of pages, make sure that you've got the keywords on there, the next description, and you're actively targeting, targeting customers who want what you have. Mm. And you just talked about keywords at the start. Then I got my first sale within two weeks, and I was off and running, and it just, just snowballed from there. But at the time, you know, it was a pretty dark time, having invested your life savings. You worked for, I worked for nearly a decade on cruise ships, only to sink that into a business that almost failed. So key, key lesson for me mm. was to find what people want, not what you want to deliver. Oh yeah, that's so fair. And I think uh, it's that, that, that concept that is so popular in Silicon Valley where they say, build it and, and they will come. That is great, but that usually doesn't work. No, it doesn't, it doesn't. And, and look, everybody thinks they've got this great idea, myself included, I've built other businesses where I haven't sort of quite really validated the market enough. Mm. And I now sort of teach, when I teach people how to run their own masterminds, uh, I have this concept called return on intellect, where you think about all the stuff that you know, and, and you can teach someone a shortcut. Uh, right. and, and, and that's, I won't call it a hack, it's, it's a shortcut. So you can do this yourself, and you can do all the research online, but if you, if you come in this mastermind, I'll show you how I scale this, or how I do that, what my process is, and you can learn directly from me. But before they even do that, I asked them to double check with the market, is really what you want? And the key difference is, is um, you want to teach what somebody wants to learn, not what you want to teach. And that subtle difference mm. is the difference between being, you know, actually getting customers or finding that you don't hit the mark. Right. Yeah, this is a very, definitely extremely important distinction. Ronan, tell me a little bit about what you just started to, you started talking about identifying the indicators to find what you would like to do. And how do you, I think the, mo the important part is to how do you 
identify them first and then interpret them that oh this is something that i have to explore more and this is how you got to where you are into masterminds and helping people succeed how somebody can actually do that we get overwhelmed with a bunch of uh, mostly unimportant distractions but how do you identify those nuggets for um uh, how did you do it for yourself uh, and how can somebody do it uh, it's almost impossible to do on your own, to be honest. I mm. read a book called uh, Unique Ability by Catherine Numora mm. uh, and Dan Kennedy, I think, is co-author. And it looks you look for um, the four levels of competence. You know the four levels of competence where it's the analogy everyone uses is driving a car. When you first start, mm. you don't know how bad you are until you get behind the wheel and go, I'm terrible at this. Right. And then you move through the stages where you get to the finally where your unconscious competence means that you drive a car from point A oh, to yeah. B, and you don't even remember any of it. It's just subconscious. Oh yeah, that's the, so, that's the the ideal. The goal is to get to this fourth stage, right? Yes, that fourth stage, that that unconscious competence, right. where you just you know you're in flow. Uh, so some people maybe never achieve that, but but they're probably not looking. Right. I believe we're all we've all got some genius in us. Um, however, you want to define the word genius, but you can find that. So you can choose to sort of ignore everything and all these pointers around you, or you can potentially get some little external help. Sometimes it might be a Myers-Briggs test because you might be in completely wrong industry and, and you, you're bumping up against your personality. Uh, I also emailed all my friends and said, why are you my friends? And it's, a, it's an exercise in self-reflection. And I, they came back with a couple of very interesting answers. That's an excellent go, oh. That's a great <laughs> It's one. a little bit scary, a little bit scary. One, one person told me, some some real hard truths the way he saw it that you listen that but um, as a general I saw the patterns that I'm persistent um, I'm a, a bit of a giver I'm just just and you just align those up and the other key thing is that you can be passionate about something but it won't necessarily translate to to a business and the the best example is watching those reality shows where they get someone on who's really passionate about singing but they're terrible at it. Right, so I don't care, there's this whole buzz around the moment, is follow your passion. Well, maybe your passion is, is something that is a hobby and not transferable to a business. So there's a key distinction between the two. If you find that sweet spot, that Venn diagram between the two, for, for business owners, that's, that's the perfect thing where it doesn't feel like work. But even someone as successful as Simon Sinek says that his real passion is art. So he does his, you know, the, the why and the golden circle and he's famous for all that, that leadership thing. But he says, wherever possible, he surrounds himself in art, and that's the thing that really um, fires him up and gives him his key motivation in life. So there's a difference between uh, getting that passion right and, and running a business. Often they are two different things. Totally agree. I think this is such an important distinction, and I've heard it so many times. A lot of people, mostly successful people, what they say is, look, you're, you're passionate about baseball, great, but if you are under a certain height then it's not, it doesn't matter or um it was a i read a book i forgot what it was but it was a great it was an excellent i think it was a book uh with the title be so good they can't ignore you uh, where it said that uh, you cannot just follow your passion because that's not going to translate into your into our into a good career and an example that person was given is that they serve like they did a survey 
uh, of a lot of people in Canada and they asked them, what would you like to do? And <laughs> most people said, oh, just we want to play hockey. That, that's what we could do. We would play hockey. But you are unlikely, as you mentioned, translated into a business or especially at that scale uh, of, um, of people who were who responded. But I've heard this distinction between, uh, from Brendan Bashar where he talked about passion and he said, look, everybody's passionate. And then and everybody says, go follow your passion and then just nourish it. And the second distinction he said was obsession when that's just a different level. How would you fit obsession into your um, into this strategic map, so to say? I use the word obsession quite a bit, but I use it in a, in a lighthearted way in the fact that you want to know more and you want to know more. That doesn't mean that I'm, it's all consuming for me. There's a, there's a balancing act. But if you want to know more about masterminds, you've got to be in them. You've got to buy the books. You've right. got to sort of go drill deeper. You've got to go down and down. One of the things that uh, I'm convinced of is that we're moving more and more towards a niche world. So if you're looking for, if you talk about even passion or obsession or whatever those things, to stand out, you ideally need to be in a bit of a niche, uh, niche we call it here. Right. And then you stand out and, and then you can create the carve out that niche and you can become that, I call it a niche rock star, where if you're a, for example, if you're a, if you're now a growth hacker, right. the phrase was coined by Sean Ellis back in 2000, Dropbox, uh, he was the head of marketing there. There are now 21,000 on pe people on LinkedIn calling themselves growth hacker. So how do you stand out when you say, well, I'm a growth hacker for doctors? Uh, and that then you've got that rallying call doctors go oh great you know he's in my niche he's in my niche right. he understands the market he understands the language so you can be you can carve out a really successful career as being the niche rock star for for doctors there's enough of them that need need uh, need leads lead generation rather than trying to be a generalist and say I'm, I'm a growth hacker and I serve everybody uh, so I, I, I believe to stand out and become any kind of authority you do need to sort of niche down uh, how you find that niche is, is sometimes a bit of trial and error. Mm. Uh, but the other key thing is if you're looking to go into business, you actually want to have a bit of affinity for, for the people that are in there. Uh, so I was looking about four years ago for this career change just before I studied Mastermind. And I looked at um, the tradies industry. And then I looked and I, I have no affinity for them. And if you're going to be in this industry for one, three, five, ten years, you really need to have to actually like the people in there and not saying I didn't like them, but I have no affinity to them. Mm. They, the, the things they do and, and, and what they do, um, are just at the name to me. So, you know, pick your market, but also understand that you really should actually at least enjoy and like that market. Mm. Otherwise you're going to be miserable. So mm. it's, it's, it's making a couple of smart strategic choices before you just suddenly dive in. Right. Right. Definitely looking for, Identifying it, is it is the um, are those my people? Or do you have any connection, or like do I even like them? Even when you're going to meetups or anywhere for that related industry that you're considering, right? Yeah, it might even be left brain, right brain. Do you really want to work with accountants? A majority of them are left brain. Right. When you're a real creative person, are you going to be speaking the, the same language? You're going to have that affinity with them. So. As I said, the more you know about yourself, yeah. the more you can make those strategic choices rather than just either following the herd or doing something that really is bumping against your intrinsic values, 
your core being or or finding what you're good at. Totally agree. We all hear that success is more about the mindset than the actual business tactics or having the best product, but very few people actually get it. What someone needs to have a better, to realize that, how important the mindset is, what are some of the things that could help, in your opinion? I think, well, first of all, you have to be curious and also you have to let go of the ego. So many people say, yeah, I know that. I used to talk about cliches all the time, but we hear this cliche and everyone says, yeah, I know that. It's why on social media you'll see one inspirational post after another and people just consume them like they consume calories. It's gone in a couple of seconds, like fast food. Mm-hmm. And they never sort of sink in because they never stop to say, like, is that true? Does that really apply to me? So you say, yes, I know it, but, but do you? That's the first question I ask you. Do I really know it? Have I even tried it? And a great example for me is meditation. So I'd never meditated until three and a half years ago. And and, and you look for those patterns and you, you read that a lot of people meditate and it helps them so much. So I tried it because I'd never tried it before. And I've meditated every single day without exception for three and a half years now. So can I say I know meditation? Yes. <laughs> Could I before? <laughs> no, I'd, I'd heard of it, but I'd, I'd never experienced it. And you can try something that doesn't work for you, and that puts you in a position to say, yes, I know that, because I've tried it. But you can't say, yeah, I know mindset, but you've never done any work on it. Um, So all you've done is bumped up against your own limiting beliefs. So until someone's tested you and said, do you really know that? That's the key indicator to say, yes, I know that, because I tried it and it didn't work, or I tried it and it worked for me. Right, limiting beliefs are definitely holding a lot of people back, and, uh definitely just being practical or at least applying that big makes a big difference versus just hearing it again and saying, yeah, I, I've heard about that. Totally agree. Now you say that entrepreneurs must work on, on the business, not just in their businesses. How do you define it? What was, what was the distinction for you when you were, when you were talking about it? Uh, for me, what most people end up, and, and even that was me towards the last couple of years, which is why I was going to get out, you end up with this zombie business where it's it's sort of alive, but it's not. <laughs> uh, so you, you're stuck in it. It doesn't earn enough for you to employ someone else for you to do more creative things or, or grow it. You end up working all these hours. So you've built this uh, prison around you or you become this zombie business where it's just not like... Uh, so without sort of putting in systems and processes and, and, and growth and, and working on the things that you're uncomfortable with, you, that's that's the level you're just going to hit. And that, that also goes back to the sort of mindset is that you think, well, I can't grow this business anymore or why would I pay someone else to do a worse job than me because I'm so good at it mm. without sort of looking at leverage. Mm. So that's the that's the key idea. You know, Have you got a zombie business? Have you built a business where it, it's just... Um, it's just alive and functioning and it's paying you a wage but you have no systems in place you can't take holidays you can't take time off you, all the intellectual property is, is stuck in your head and not down in systems which mm-hmm. means the business isn't sellable to anyone because they're not going to buy your ideas and thoughts right so it's a com- combination of all of those things now it's not to say that you systemize systemize it at the wazoo and it ends up being this passive income um, for the most part, passive income is, is a lie. Everything needs nurturing and constant attention in some form or another. 
Sure, the hard work to get somewhere, you talk about, Pat Flynn talks about a smart passive income, and there is that sort of affiliate sort of trade-off, some of those those ideas. But if you don't nurture your affiliates, then they stop working with you. So there is this smart passive income, to a point, is, um, is a misnomer. Everything requires work on it, but it's a question of how much work. If you leverage correct, correctly and you put those systems in place, you can imagine a life where you are not working 60, 70 hours a week. And that's the smart thing to, to do, not to not to get on social media and say, hey, I just did 80 hours a week today. You wimps are only doing 60. And I saw a post last year that was saying that. Some guys, you know, he's up at four in the morning and going to bed at 11 and working that whole time and bragging about it. Uh, t- to me, that's, that's dumb. Right. But it doesn't... Like the hours by itself, they don't really translate into necessarily into the result. And, and I find there's a lot of, like there's this coolness factor that um, I'm an entrepreneur, that's cool. And uh, I'm working this long hours because I choose to, but I find there's this not enough search for what is actually fulfilling. And a lot of times. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. It, it taps back into one of your earlier questions about what you do and why you do it, and that intrinsic value, what sort of inside you, what sort of really motivates you. Right. And, and one of the key things that I teach in all my masterminds, and I keep going about it, and I try to do that myself, is, is a true definition, definition of an entrepreneur is someone who leverages, leverages something. So you leverage time, you leverage an arbitrage gap, you find something and you leverage it and if you look at the definition of leverage you know it's somebody that is is using a digger rather than a spade mm. so yeah so if you look at your business and say okay well okay maybe i am working 60 hours at because i've just started my first year or two that's great but if you're not thinking strategically and saying how can i find ways i don't do all this myself that i can really leverage the business and find um, jv partners affiliates mm. Um, someone else that can do that job so I can start a second store because I've got one store somewhere I can process that start my second store third store that's true leverage uh, otherwise if you're just doing 70 hours a week and the business re- relies on you and that's your you've got no other plan then you just have a job that doesn't pay very well because yeah. when you work out 70 hours a week it's not very good pay oh absolutely I mean delegating your work for sure and like having teaching other people to do the work that you do having a decentralized command if you like so important absolutely completely agree now um talk me to me a little bit about your mastermind what is it like what how does the program look like what do your uh what do you take participants through well there's two sides to that i teach people how to to run their own masterminds and i and i run masterminds so what i run masterminds is a 13-week program where we start to look at, I suppose, almost every aspect of their business. Because there's normally, you've got to find at least one, maybe two areas of improvement. And it could be marketing. I know a lot of people that uh, hate marketing. You know, they're great right. at what they do, which is one of the reasons that most people go into business. They're a subject matter expert, right. and they want to do more of that. So they're a plumber, and they work with someone else. I'm going to go out and plumb on my own. I'm an accountant. I'm going to go and start my own accountancy business. Um, but then obviously the, the other skills of, of marketing uh, are hard for them. Or you're a great marketer, but you're not a great system person. So there's always a gap somewhere in, in your skill set. And it's not about saying, well, I need to learn that skill. 
is I need to recognize that that's a, an area that I've been ignoring. Uh, can I know enough to then hire someone that will give me that, that missing gap so I can improve that business? So throughout 13 weeks, you start to look at everything you do from habits to what does your day look like? And you look for those incremental improvements and goals that they can stack on top. Because if you can find something that you can improve your process for 30, hour, 30 minutes a day, that's two and a half hours a week. You extrapolate that for a year, except that for the lifetime of your business, that you're just doing something smarter, then that's a compounding effect. Mm. And, and when I teach people masterminds, it really is about picking, picking up their return on intellect. So there are so many subject matter experts who've been in the business maybe 10 years. Uh, and I wouldn't quite call it a zombie business. They might have a successful business. But all they do is they just deliver what they know, their expertise, in one form. So chefs cook, trainers train, accountants add up numbers. That's it. Now, it's only when you start to package up your intellectual property, return on an intellect, and say, okay, other people want to know how I do that, I can teach that. Or you write a book, or you um, speak about it, or you get paid to speak about it, and you become that sort of authority. And once you move to teaching, you're automatically an authority because mm. educators are seen as authority. Right through when you were a little kid and the teacher was, especially when you like play real small in kindergarten, right. the teacher was this amazing person that knew everything. So we're hardwired to assume that people that educate um, know stuff and therefore an authority. And it's the difference between most people that continue their job. You could be the best accountant in your city, right? And you can just say, I was going to get better and better and better at accounting. And then, but you'll still bump up against the ceiling of earning X amount. If you're an accountant that says, um, I'm going to go out and start my own podcast. I'm going to write a book about what I've learned in the 10 years of accounting. I'm going to speak and I'm going to be on stage. All of a sudden, that person probably charges twice as much as the accountant who's better than them that doesn't speak. Yeah. Uh, so you become... So you become that authority and you add, you add intrinsic value to what you do, but most people don't, aren't prepared to do that extra work outside of what their comfort zone and what they know. Right. I think it all comes down to having a, well, not, not everything, but a lot comes down to having a personal brand and really investing in your, your publicity and being a media company. And media company means uh, having a podcast, having a video, having a speaking gigs, because everybody's got certain expertise and they have a lot of good ideas, but nobody's going to never, they will never know about it. No, nobody will know about them. And so their marketing is not there. And the truth is that what I've learned, and this is an interesting, the interesting aspects is aspect is that you don't have to be the best. And a lot of times people are not hiring the best. They have to, they, they will hire somebody who they know well. Uh, and then when you don't, you don't have a the marketing machine, then nobody will know. And it's like the SEO that you pointed out to your with your first business, uh, and it slightly at a different angle that you have to you have to let other people know that look, this is this is my expertise, this is what I know, and then you'll have a little bit more traction. But it does require a lot of commitment. Yes, exactly. But the payoff is is huge. As I right. said, if you you become that accountant that is that has its own podcast that is known. All of a sudden, you, you're charging twice as much as in person. You're not even chasing clients because they come to you. They've yeah. heard you somewhere. They they know you and recognize and trust you. 
and you'll see it all the way through with celebrities. Why do why do film stars you know, charge seventy five thousand dollars? They can do a talk for a day because they've created that level of authority, and and you'll see it in every sin- single industry and in every single business. There's a couple of people that step up and say, I'm going to become that niche rock star. And when they do, and they put that time and effort into that personal brand, as you said, they, they stand out, they become that level of authority because they, they're teaching people. And, and it might not, it just might be a couple of sound bites, but that's all they need to be on TV and, and, and radio and, and on some podcasts. And then all of a sudden they've reached that level of authority that your person that's, that hasn't done that. And, and that, that's the difference between intrinsic value. So how can I, how can I double my price? Right. Double your price by becoming that, that brand authority. Absolutely. Now, I wanted to ask you about mentorships because these are so, so important and they are, will be even more important. I think uh, the concept of mentorship is a little bit, they, it's not properly understood. I think a lot, there's a lot of word tossing going on. But when we talk about a mentor and everybody needs one, like what mistakes do you see people making when they're trying to get one? What, what, what was something that you, you came across? I think, first of all, it has to be a good fit for both people. I, I Really, the, the mentor must understand that the mentee takes their advice on board, acts on it, otherwise it's a, it's a waste. And, and also, as a, when you're a mentee looking for a mentor, you've, you've really got to try and position yourself as uh, somebody worth mentoring, but, but also, we're humans, we want to know what's in it for us. So if you go to someone and say, how want to be mentored by you, or whatever, da, 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 then you're not really coming from a place of giving, you're coming from a place of asking. Uh, so that's the... That's the subtle but, but key difference is that, you know, when you speak to your mentor, you know, how can I help you? Can I even just buy dinner when we go out? Can you do, can you do something that, that ensures that, that they're valued uh, and you're meeting some of their needs instead of just thinking, okay, I, I want a mentor. I want to I suck all the information from this person, but I'm not prepared to give back in any way. Yeah, it's very, very, very typical, typical approach that that uh, that we see that we see is happening now. And there's this also concept of hiring a coach, which I which I do find to be extremely helpful. Now, I've uh, I went to a couple of seminars, read a lot of books, and I do find that the most effective approach by far is when you work with somebody directly. It's it, it's so much better um, compared to especially online courses that are that are great might there might be but there's no accountability aspect there at all like what do you like find like what are your what's your perspective on hiring a personal coach and how how do you see that uh concept uh yes i'd I'd agree with you very similar to to to, to mastermind so you you could either coach or mastermind there's there's that built-in accountability you say this is what i've committed to do and you work through it and you've got uh, bounced around some ideas one of the key things you really need, and which is what a coach will give you, is it'll give you some kind of perspective and test your assumptions. And we talked about the very start, building something that nobody wants, because that's an assumption, because you haven't tested the market and asked them. Uh, so what, we, what we're hardwired to do as humans is to keep busy. You've got eight hours, nine hours a day, 10 hours, you'll fill that. So you'll keep busy. And when you're on your own, you will find stuff to do. You, um, shiny object syndrome you've read a blog post about 
how you should be doing lead generation with drip campaigns. And you'll do that only to find out it didn't work for you because you never stopped back and said, okay, is that the real problem in my business? Hmm. Is it really that I need a drip campaign or is it actually my my brand or my messaging isn't resonating with my, my audience? So we automatically go out and build something to fix a problem without really drilling down into that problem and spending that time to say, is that right? And a coach will really give you that fresh perspective uh, and say, um, let me just test a lot of those assumptions that you're coming up with. Mm-hmm. Right, right. See, that, and obviously we'll save so much time. Um, Rana, in terms of your mastermind, how do you uh, find the right people? How do you like ensure that the folks in the right in the group will benefit from each other? Do you look at the background or how do you sort them? That's a good question. One of the key attributes I sort of look for is that they actually are a giver. Uh, I've, I've had several people in masterminds where they get in and they, they're almost trying to sell to the group. They go, oh, it's a great, it's like networking. I go out and I hand my card to everybody mm-hmm. and hey, somebody's going to buy. <laughs> so yeah. without, ever re- without ever really asking if they need your product or service. So one of the key things is that you do look for people that genuinely like helping people because that's really what business is about. It's about solving a problem at a price someone's happy to pay for. That's the simple definition of business. Uh, so when you genuinely like helping people, that starts to sort of come through and you can see those sort of people that say, oh, I know someone that can help you with this. Or I thought I saw this article and I thought of you. Um, so that's the, the type of people. Uh, to be honest, though, you don't really know until... They, they join a group a little bit like you don't know a coach is a great fit for you until you start work with them right because I always say I always say we're not we're not our CVs we're, we're far more than that we're complex human beings that have hmm. all these emotions all these uh, biases prejudice myself included you know I'm I'm no different to anybody else right. so you can put six people in a mastermind and they look great on paper and then they just don't work out a little bit like blind dates and the same thing with coaching is that you fix someone up on a blind date and on paper they sound great they'll be a perfect match and they hate yeah. each other yeah. <laughs> so exactly. it's exactly. a question <laughs> yeah. it's a question of uh second and see go on a couple of dates and and see if, see if it works out <laughs> oh i totally agree i think it's just uh trial and error works so well yeah so don't don't overcommit if you're going to sign up with a coach say, okay let's do two sessions and, and reassess after that and is it right for both of us Mentors will do the same thing. You don't want to commit to someone long-term as a mentee or a mentor. Let's do two sessions, and if it works, we'll we'll get to know each other, and we'll take it from there. Right. Ronan, what kind of legacy would you like to leave behind with the work that you're doing right now and just looking looking into the future? That's a good question. I've really only become... I suppose a teacher in the last three or four years. Mm. So I've moved from running a business where there really wasn't any teaching involved and now getting some sort of level. But to be honest, I don't really see much of a legacy. When I'm in these mastermind groups, I don't care where the best idea comes from. That's the beauty of them. You get six, seven people in a room and someone says, I've got a problem with this. And it's not my, as the facilitator, um, it's not really just my ideas. If someone from left field says, oh, I've got this great idea, what about that? And they go, perfect. As long as somebody's seen some some progress and this has got further than they were, then then I'm happy with that. So I don't really see it as a as a as a legacy. I right. just see it as 
you've helped some people and the more you can help them uh, and the more that they grow from there, that's a great feeling. There's a, there's a phrase that I use all the time is that it's from Benjamin Disraeli. Mm-hmm. What he said is that uh, the true value is in not sharing your riches with others, but revealing their own. Mm-hmm. And when you can draw that out of people and that's mindset and that's um, looking at the bigger picture, um, that's getting that better return on intellect I talk about to the masterminds. That's a great feeling, and, and that's that's reward enough. Totally, that that's uh, that I, I definitely could see that. Ron, well, the last question I want to ask you: Where my where is the audience uh, and the listeners can find you online? Uh, the best place to find me online is is LinkedIn. Though so I'm a huge huge fan of LinkedIn. It's a great place to connect people and learn more about them. You know probably easier way than Facebook, it's far more um, personal to, to me. So LinkedIn, right. I'm Ronan, Ronan Leonard, the mastermind guy. Uh, and I've got two websites, I've got eCountability.io and, and I've got a new one for the mastermind teaching program, which is returnonintellects.com. Excellent, and, I will, uh, and we will link all the resources below uh, in the podcast so everybody can follow, uh, follow you, Ronan, and, and uh, check out the the resources that you have because I think that's it's really really valuable uh, but uh, it was a great chat I think we've got some excellent insights and I really want to thank you for uh, coming on the podcast as my pleasure Sergei thanks for uh, having me on your show and and uh, really like what you're doing thank you so much